Welcome into the Diamond Falls podcast. Back in action with my guy Eric Kane. And Eric, we do have quite a bit to discuss because since we last spoke on the Diamond Falls podcast, Tennessee has become SEC champions. They are the SEC regular season champions for the first time in 27 years with a win over Georgia, two wins over Georgia over the weekend and a couple of Arkansas losses, courtesy of Vanderbilt. Tennessee is SEC regular season champions for the first time since they went back-to-back in 1994 and 1995, the fourth time ever because they also did so in 1951. One heck of an accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, it was only a matter of time, right? I mean, Tennessee under Tony Vitello just kept getting better and better and better and better, and then now – I mean, they're great. They're the best team in the country. And so the, the work they put in earlier in the season allowed them to lock up the SEC East last weekend, allowed them to lock up the SEC this weekend against a good team in Georgia. And so uh, quite an accomplishment, first time in 27 years. So that is uh, that is definitely something to celebrate for sure. Right. And I know there's other goals to be won, and that has certainly been the message from the players and the coaches but th- this is something that should truly be appreciated. And I know it's kind of hard to walk the line of appreciated, appreciating it in the moment, but also understanding that there are bigger goals to be had. But uh, to me, to me, it's more impressive to win the regular season title than the SEC tournament. I- I've long said that both for, for baseball and basketball. Like it's still impressive to win the SEC tournament. Don't get me wrong. But to me, it shows just how great of a team you are when you can run through the SEC schedule over the course of three months rather than just simply getting hot over the course of a week at a a tournament. So uh, I, I think this is something that Tennessee itself, the team, the players, the coaches, the support staff, uh, and then also the fans should should be very proud of because, uh, yes, they, they needed Arkansas to lose over the weekend, but it, it's not because Tennessee had not done something. Uh, it, it was just because they were trying to clinch early rather on the final day of the regular season, kind of like what we talked about with winning the SEC East. Tennessee yeah. won the SEC regular season title because it was five for five at home, did not lose a home series in conference play. They, they swept their most important opponents, both in the division and then from the West as well, going on the road and sweeping Ole Miss. And then you take two or three from Auburn. You take two or three from Alabama. So this, this to me, is, is a pretty significant accomplishment that we'll look back on and, and talk for years about. Yeah, for sure. And again, it, it's, it's exactly, in my opinion, obviously this is much bigger. This is um... – this is winning your conference. This is not just winning your division. So it is bigger for sure. But it is like the conversation we had last week. It doesn't happen. This has not been routine quite some time for Tennessee baseball. And so you recognize it. You celebrate it. You pat yourself on the back because you have earned it. But as the, you know, Tony Vitello and the players and the staff have mentioned, you know, you still still get a lot of baseball to play, hopefully, and everything. But this is not nothing. This is this is really really cool. And um, you saw this happening. You know, the first couple of seasons under Tony Vitello because the program was in just such a turnaround. So uh, just a dominant team for so much of this year. Obviously, the best team in the country still, in my opinion, and um, able to lock it up on the on the next last weekend of the, of the regular season. So that's that's uh, that's really, really cool. Yeah. And 
today, when when all of the polls come out, Tennessee will be back to being unanimously number one. Uh, there yeah. are three polls that that dropped them. Three out of the six dropped them to number two, which I, I hate the way polls work so much. Uh, a team loses, so we must punish them by dropping them. When in reality, okay, Tennessee lost its first series of the season, but their their body of work still points to them being the best team in the country. So why are we dropping them in the polls? I hate how that works, Eric. It's just part of it, right? It's, it's recency bias. Uh, I, I'm thankful that Tennessee didn't drop in the polls. Um, and, I, you know, you might remember. I can't remember who Tennessee had that weekend. But when Tennessee lost to Tennessee Tech at Smoky Stadium, it's like I think Tennessee went 2-2 two and two on that week. Maybe that was the – It was Alabama, I believe. Yeah, Alabama. And so I thought Tennessee might drop in the polls then just because, again – recency bias went two and two on the entire week and all that but it didn't which was good to see but uh Kentucky was a bad team it was bad you know that no doubt about it. I still thought Tennessee was the best team in the country following that weekend just had a bad weekend but it is what it is we see it in every sport we see it in basketball we see it in football and we see it in baseball as well we certainly do but Tennessee is back to being unanimously number one at least I am going to be under the assumption that they will be. I've already seen one where we're recording this around 11 a.m. Uh, I saw Baseball America put Tennessee back up at, at number one. And the reason I'm assuming that Tennessee will be back to being unanimously number one is because the team that jumped them, Oregon State, was swept by Arizona this weekend. So, yeah. and Tennessee beat basically a top 25 Georgia team two out of three at home and again i think people are who are new to college baseball are, are still struggling with this concept based off of the first frustration that i saw from the the game three loss to georgia it's about winning series it's not about mm -hmm. sweeping series unfortunately i i guess it's unfortunately it, it's also a good thing but t tennessee this tennessee team last year's tennessee team this program has now set a ridiculously high standard for itself. And that is a good thing because that means you've had success. But on the flip side of that, everybody flips out when one day of baseball doesn't go your way. And, and it can be very annoying because fanatics, a.k.a. fans, uh, they, they do tend to take it over the top. So to me, there was a little bit of an overreaction to the game three loss and are they going to drop in the polls? And, and no, they're not going to drop in the polls. They, they lost one game. They, they won the series. That, that's what matters in college baseball. Coaches and players, they are going for the series win. It's, it's no different than Major League Baseball. No mm -hmm. different. And Tennessee, this season, every weekend except for Kentucky weekend, has taken care of business and won its series. Yeah, and keep in mind, too, I mean, you're at the point of the season where you're starting to mix things up, rest some guys, get these freshmen uh, uh, some rest. I mean, you saw Chase Burns did not get the start on on Thursday nights. Saw Drew Bean. Both of, I mean, Burns came out of the bullpen as well. But, you know, Bean came out of the bullpen on Sunday, and we'll get to more on that. But you had one of your top relievers, uh, you know, start that game. So you're not following your normal blueprint as well right now in order to get everybody nearing as rested and 100% as you can entering postseason play. So, yeah, it's it, again, and I've said this a couple of times too, like a, a lot of people compare every, like, you know, football loss, a big loss, right? You only get 12 games in a regular season. So a loss, you know, it weighs heavy, right? A loss doesn't weigh as heavy in basketball. A loss certainly doesn't weigh as heavy 
in baseball. It's about, you know, winning the series. So as long as you win these series, which Tennessee's done, as you pointed out, every single series this season, with the exception of one on the road where, and, and again, that that's the sport, right? You're allowed to have one or two of those a year, as long as you bounce back the right way, which Tennessee has, um, you know, Tennessee's, you know, racking up those series win. And then that, that's, what's important. And you look at that overall record still, even after the game three loss on Saturday, gosh, 45 and seven is spectacular. 22 and five looks even better in this conference. Yes. And again, it, it's, it's a blessing in a curse. Yeah. 99% a blessing to have the, the, the size of the fan base that Tennessee has. Because the expectations are always going to be through the roof. Yes, but the, the point that I'm getting at is is some of a, a overreaction. It's, it's that 1% that is overreacting. And uh, because of social media, because of message boards, they are a, a loud majority, it seems like. When in reality, 99% of the fan base understands the concept of, of how this thing uh, is working. But also, as you mentioned, Tennessee just has... Uh, this this particular baseball program at the moment has has set such high expectations for itself, which is great and and rightfully so. Expectations should change with the success that Tennessee is having. That that was my talking point all of last season. Like Tennessee's doing all these things for the first first time, and it feel good. It, it feels good now, but at some point they're going to have to to really pay it off and and win in a big way, just yeah. because expectations will change and. I didn't necessarily think that it would be this season that it that it would be um, demanding that you achieve those expectations so quickly, but but here we are. Uh, Eric, you mentioned the pitching. Aside from Tennessee winning the SEC, uh, that was the biggest storyline of the weekend. The the pitching decisions. Tony Vitello, Frank Anderson. They decide to to go with Chase Dolander in Game One on Thursday. They decide to. Pitch Blade Tidwell in game two. Going into the weekend, it was to be determined as to who was going to pitch the series finale on Saturday. Tony Vitello said that midnight, around midnight the night before of the series finale, he decided to go with Ben Joyce and uh, slept on it. And, and when he woke up, he felt the same feeling that, hey, let, let's give Ben Joyce a start. And talking about an overreaction because of one loss, there was an overreaction to Tennessee losing the series finale because the thought process by some was, hey, Drew Beam starting the series finale has worked all year long. Why go away from it? And I understand that thought process, but what I don't understand it is, is that it was so evident that there were changes to the pitching staff and, and pitching plans for the weekend for the sole purpose of resting Drew Beam and Chase Burns. That was the sole purpose of this weekend's pitching changes and, and pitching shakeups. I don't understand the criticism of going away from Drew Beam on Saturday. Uh, and, and it's not like Ben Joyce wasn't deserving of that start or was not capable of pitching well in that game. And, he only pitched four innings and three out of the four innings, he was very dominant. It was the yeah. fourth inning that Georgia was able to get to him. And again, he could have kept pitching if it was an NCAA tournament or early in the season. But because you don't need to tax him too much right now, 
he, he's not going to pitch more than four innings. So I, I just the criticism for for the pitching shakeup has been mind boggling to me, Eric, because it was so evident based off of how Burns and Beam has pitched their last couple of outings and then added on with Tony's comments, which I'll share here in a moment, but want to give you the floor first. Just the, that those combination of things, it was mind-boggling to, be, to me to see people so frustrated with the pitching decisions over the weekend. And look what happened in Kentucky last weekend, right? I mean, you, you saw, you know, Dolander came back. Of course, he had missed a couple of starts, but he came back. He came out of the pen. Now, he pitched more than, of course, Chase Burns and, and Drew Beam did this weekend, but it's they were starting to do it last weekend. They're, they're, they're taking those steps to rest these guys. And, we, I mean, it sounds like a broken record. We've been talking about it all year. I mean, at the end of the day, Chase Burns is incredible as ever, but he's still a true freshman. Drew Beam has not pitched in two years, and so this is a lot of stress and a lot of innings on an arm putting into high-leverage situations. So I just feel like if you think back to Kentucky uh, you know, last weekend that – you know, those were indications that, okay, we're starting to take the steps these last couple weekends of the season to ensure our guys are getting ready to row. So it's going to look a little bit different. And then once you get into postseason, Ben, that's something we talked about a little bit as well. It might not be the routine Burns, Dolander, Beam, or Tidwell or whatever, because you might set it up to where you want Dolander to pitch elimination or however you want to spin it. So it's going to be a little funky, but these guys are still going to pitch. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, Burns, one, one inning and two-thirds, gave up a run, 29 pitches. 29 pitches, that's huge. Beam, not great, okay, and we'll get to that. I understand that, but he threw 15 pitches, right? He'll have a bullpen this weekend. I mean, he's still going to be fine and ready to go, but just you know, resting up that arm was the number one goal this weekend. We're still getting those guys a little bit of work, and they were able to accomplish that. So I'm with you. And when you have these arms, when you have all these options, you still go out there and you have a chance every single game to win. It's not like you're just throwing away a game, right? Typically, a lot of times we say, oh, we're just going to throw bullpen this game. Well, when Tennessee throws bullpen, you got a pretty good chance of winning that ball game because Tennessee's bullpen has a lot of arms and they're good. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. It's the it's a little bit of overreaction, but at the end of the day, there's a purpose behind it. And, I, you know, Frank Anderson has, has done it a time or two. And technically, it's not like the <laughs> – it's not like the plan didn't work. They took two or three – from a yeah. good Georgia baseball team that should make some noise in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> and, and you were and you were winning three to one with your quote unquote bullpen game going in game three with with Joyce looking really, really good. Of course, you know, had that fourth inning. But yeah, I mean, it was everything was going according to plan. Right. Chase Dolander looked freaking awesome in game one. Georgia's lineup. Now, Georgia's pitching staff is terrible on paper entering the weekend during conference play Georgia had the second worst ERA of any team in the SEC so their pitching has been their downfall their hitting has been what has carried them I, I can't remember off the top of my head I'm, I'm not looking at it at the moment but uh, second best batting average entering the weekend in conference play uh, I believe second most hits uh, second highest OBP uh, they, they they are very strong offensively, and Chase Dolander made them look silly on Thursday. Ma oh. Made them look awful hitters, look like awful hitters uh, in that game one. So uh, I don't see how you, you could say the plan didn't work when they took two of three from a top 25-ish Georgia team, and Chase Dolander looked good. And Tony Vitello was convicted that Blake Tidwell – 
made progress this weekend. Uh, it, and Blade was good for the, for the most part in his outing on on Saturday. He pitched four innings. Uh, he did give up three walks, which was very frustrating, especially when two of the three yeah. walks were with two outs. You, you just can't do that. Uh, but he had six strikeouts, only gave up one run, four hits, and threw 84 pitches. And after the game, Tony said that he could throw 100 pitches if he wanted to uh, or, or if they needed him to, I should say. And And he, Tony, after the game, said, hey, he made progress tonight. And then he ca- came back after the weekend after the finale and was asked, Hey, what would, what do you take away from your pitching staff this weekend? And he said, Blake Tidwell made progress. Uh, And I said it last night. I felt even more so that he made progress when I, when I went back and looked at the video. So it seems like Blake Tidwell is about to turn a corner. We'll see this weekend at Mississippi state. And then again, Ben Joyce, he was good for not good. He was great for three of the four innings that he pitched. He, he did run into trouble in that fourth inning, giving up three runs on, on back-to-back home runs uh, through 67 pitches. Again, could have thrown more if you were in a game in which he needed to throw more, but just no reason to over overtax him in this outing. So I don't know how you can say the plan didn't work. When the plan did work, they won. And <laughs> for the most part, the starters looked good. Uh, Joyce and Tidwell maybe weren't dominant, but they looked good for most of their outing. Yep, I would agree. And, you know, uh, the bullpen for the most part in, in that game did a pretty good job. Walsh struggled on Sunday, but Walsh looked good on Friday nights. You had Will Mabry that got back in there and pitched a scoreless inning, so that was good to see. Um, you know, Beam got roughed up a little bit, but the bullpen on Saturday as well. I mean, I know we're, we're talking about kind of how these uh, how the pitchers were aligned. The bullpen on Friday, excuse me, was fantastic after Tidwell exited after four innings and 84 pitches. You know, Sewell, McLaughlin, and, and, and Connell all look good, too. So, yeah, it worked, and there's a strategy behind, strategy behind it. And, of course, we'll have to see what it might look like, you know, this upcoming weekend uh, with the, with this regular season, season finale. Um, if, if maybe Tidwell will get some rest, or I doubt it because he didn't pitch for half the season. <laughs> so, kind of what might that look like heading into Hoover? So, you know, we'll have to see. But I, again, I think it'll be, there'll be another twist to it as well, um, you know, heading into uh, the, 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 the uh, SEC tournament because I think that you're just trying to ensure that all your guys are ready to roll. So, I, uh, I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't, I, I, I thought it went all according to plan. I wasn't shocked by anything really. Everything made sense to me, I guess, um, and kind of how Tony Latello kind of attacked this weekend with the arms. Yes. I, I, now, I was surprised that Ben Joyce started the series finale. I know you were, too. Uh, yeah, in terms of, like, who who would get the ball first. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Um, but in terms but of, like, the – I think he can start. And, and, again, Tony Botella said that he can be a starting pitcher. They just don't really want to do that with him, you know, that, right. because they're thinking about his future and all that. And he, depending on the franchise that takes him, he might be a starting pitcher, potentially. So, yeah, I was, I was surprised that it was him that started. But, of course, the – the, the thought process about that game three in general, I wasn't surprised by it. And I like the move to start Joyce. If if your goal for the weekend is to rest Drew Beam and rest Chase Burns, why not? You, you've been saying all season that he could start for you. Why not give him a start? Yeah. And uh, again, people see the, the the radar gun and think, oh, that arm can't can't start. But what people don't understand 
if you if you've followed along all season long and, and listened to Tony's comments, or if you've just laid eyes on Ben Joyce in a non-creepy way, you realize that he is a specimen. He is a freak. He, he is just he, he is chiseled <laughs> as as chiseled can get. And like he he was created in a weight room. And because of his physique, it allows him even at the, the speed in which he is pitching with the velocity in which he is throwing with what he has done in the weight room and how he has transformed his body into this specimen. Uh, he can go out there and throw 70 pitches like he did on Saturday in, in game three, he can start. And, and Tony Vitello has been emphasizing that all season. So if the goal is to rest beam and burns and you know, he's capable of doing that. Why not give him a crack at it? I like, I was surprised by the decision, but I liked the decision when I saw it. And even despite that one bad inning, I still like the decision in hindsight. Also, Cannon Sewell threw 51 pitches just the day before as well. So now, of course, Tony's kind of already knew that he was going to go with Joyce the next day. So that probably altered his decision to go ahead and let Sewell throw uh, a lot the day before. So that kind of makes sense. But, you know, with resting those guys, with Sewell, who's a guy that can also go out there, Tony said a couple of times that, he could go out there and start some games. He would probably be that other option. Seacrest, you know, probably getting the ball on Tuesday. You know, you didn't have – like it made even more sense when you really dive down into it and see about the availability of these arms. Why not throw Ben Joyce out there? And, again, looked really, really good there for a while and then ran into trouble in the fourth and could have stayed in, as you pointed out. But uh, but but why do that when our, when you already have the, the series intact and a lot of baseball left to play? And you never know when you may need to start him in the postseason. Mm -hmm. So uh, a couple other things with the, the pitching staff and, and, and those decisions this weekend. And again, this podcast is going to be pitching heavy because that, that was the conversation coming out of the weekend and uh, just another ho-hum uh, offensive performance for the Vols over the weekend. Look, looked pretty good on Friday or Thursday and, and Friday, game one and game two, and then struggled in game three we'll, we'll we'll touch on that before we get out of here but we are going to spend the majority of this pod discussing the pitching because as i have continued the to emphasize uh, it was it was the storyline outside of tennessee winning the sec this weekend and, and i want to be more drew beam and, and chase burns specific now uh, tony vitello said after saturday burns and beam could have started this weekend but i prefer to not ask them to shoulder the load for every week of the season might be different. If COVID hadn't impacted their high school career, we want them to run through the finish line instead of stumble. That tells you all you need to know about the thinking behind the decisions for this weekend and the goals for the weekend. And I don't understand how anybody could disagree with that thought process. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's been evident that Chase Burns, Drew Beam have, have been tailing off the last couple of outings. And I do think it was the freshman wall coming into play physically, mentally. I, I think that's what it was. And entering the weekend, Burns and, and Beam were the only two Tennessee pitchers with over 60 innings on the season. The two freshmen. The two yeah. freshmen who Tony Vitello pointed out, their junior seasons didn't take place because of COVID. 
that was with Chase Burns and Drew Beam. And then, as we've talked about all year, after not being able to pitch his junior year because of COVID, Drew Beam couldn't pitch his senior year because of Tommy John. And then they come into their true freshman season, and they are the, the one constant in Tennessee's rotation throughout the entire season up until this point because of the Blake Tidwell injury, because of Chase Dolander being struck by the line drive against Alabama. They've been the one constant. And because they are true freshmen trying to carry this, this new large workload, they have started to, to wear down. It's been pretty evident the last couple of weeks. So I don't understand how anybody could disagree with the thought process that those guys need a rest. I mean, it is so – I mean, I commend. Honestly, I commend. And I'm not trying to carry Tony's water here or Frank's water here, but I commend them for making that decision because year after year after year, we see college baseball coaches ride these young arms until they fall off or until they just fall flat. And Tony Vitello and Frank Anderson are trying to avoid that situation of where they get into the postseason and these arms that they have relied on all season long fall flat because they just wore down because they overused them the entire season. And it's like one person responded to me tweeting out that, that quote and said, well, he gave away a sweep with those decisions. Again, you, you're matter. not going to – Right. You're not going to sweep every weekend. You already have everything locked up. You don't need to sweep. You need to be pre preparing, not even for Hoover. You need to be preparing for the NCAA tournament and, and your run at a national championship. And again, I continue to say it. I just don't understand how a nobody can, how anybody could not understand the thought process behind the decisions this weekend and B not agree with the decisions. And we might not know this yet. We might not have the answers. Tony might not even know this yet. But, I mean, we should expect to see something like this again this this weekend, right? I mean, maybe not to the extent. Maybe not both of them. Maybe. I, I don't know. But, again, we should expect to see those guys getting a little bit more rest this weekend. Maybe not as much, again, just to, to, to preserve the arms. A little. At least that's what I'm thinking, right? I mean, it's not going to be your normal one, two, three, and then, you know, maybe having the other one come and piggyback like we see in the weekend's past. I expect there to be some wrinkle like this uh, again this weekend because, again, like you said, you've wrapped up everything. There's there's nothing left to do in the regular season, right? There's three more wins, and I get it. Three more wins is better than three more losses. You're going to go. You're not going to be swept, but I expect there to, to, to be another wrinkle this weekend. Right, and, and I loved Tony's comment. I, I think it was after game one. He said something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing, it, it doesn't matter. All four guys will start all four games in Hoover. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I love that quote because of mainly the confidence in him to say the four games in Hoover. Yeah. As if, A, that they are going to play until Sunday. And then, B, technically they could play five because he, he's saying four because they'll play Wednesday. If they if they win Wednesday, and again, it's double elimination for those who are not familiar with the SEC tournament. So they're guaranteed to play Wednesday and Thursday. If they win both Wednesday and Thursday, they don't play on Friday. So not only is Tony referencing them playing into Sunday, but he's also assuming that they're not going to play on that Friday because they took care of business on Wednesday and Thursday. So 
Uh, I'll be curious to see what the pitching looks like this weekend, Eric. I, I think that's a good point. I just, again, I, I just don't understand how anybody could not agree with the thought process of Burns and Beam uh, needed rest this weekend. And, and here's the other positive, not just the rest. And I don't think that this is the reason the decision was made. We've detailed why the decision was made, but uh, the, the cherry on top, I guess you could say, or an added unintended benefit of making this decision is that you now have a chase burns and drew beam that know what it's like to come out of the bullpen. And that can be so advantageous in the postseason because again, year after year after year in the NCAA tournament, and even at the professional level in major league baseball, you see it all the time. Now the greats can do it. That's why, you know, the Scherzer's the, I mean, uh, Kershaw got over his postseason was He's done it a little bit. I mean, the greats can adapt. Some of these starting pitchers, as you were getting to before I cut you off, you need to win a game. You want to close the door shut. You bring them out of the bullpen, and it's not great. And now think about this. All four of these guys have now come out of the pen this year. So you're exactly right. I love that. Yes. It's an added benefit that if if for some reason, maybe you've taxed your bullpen already that weekend, uh, but for whatever reason that may pop up and you play so many games in Omaha, if you are successful, you just don't know what pitching situation is going to pop up. And, and you see it year after year, a starter like a Chase Dolander, a Blade Tidwell, or maybe a Burns or a Beam. They'll come in in the eighth inning and get it out or, or come in and close the game. You see this happen often. And boy, I, I would much rather Drew Beam have his first bullpen outing especially in hindsight this weekend against Georgia with the way it went rather than in Omaha when the season is on the line so now theoretically beam should be able to hand coming out of handle coming out of the bullpen uh, much better than he did so uh, that's another positive to, to the rest now as upbeat and as glass half full as I have been uh, about these pitching decisions, I do have one worry, Eric. And again, I still think they made the right decision and I'm not uh, a ton worried about this possible negative effect, but just the, the tinkering with the routine worries me in the sense of will these arms be able to get back on schedule get back on track like they were the first half of the year will will the over tinkering mess up the 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 uh, mess up their rhythm I, I guess like will, will drew beam be able to bounce back mentally and physically from coming out of the bullpen and chase burns as well that that's that's my concern is that these roles have kind of been shifted and what will that do going forward will they be able to seamlessly move back into those roles that that's my one concern yeah and and that's valid but like if the schedule in terms of the playing format you know was always going to change of course it it worked out in Tennessee's favor I guess at least because you got the 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 series Thursday Friday and Saturday all all in one group at the end of the regular season so that you know it changed but then it was the same but I mean you're going to play on Wednesday you're going to play on Thursday Friday I mean some of these regional I believe in the regional, you start on you start playing on a Thursday, right? And then Super Regional, it's a weekend series. I get that. It's Thursday or Friday. Uh, yeah. Ha- half the 
half the regionals will start on Thursday, the other half on it's like the NCAA tournament okay. in basketball. Some so, yeah, half I mean, start it was, on Thursday, half start on Friday. It was always going to change to a degree, but I know what you're saying in terms of you know bullpen starting. You know what, what days your bullpen and all that. When you get in those extra innings in, and baseball players, especially pitchers, creatures of habit, right? But I mean. You look at some of the best and most successful college baseball teams. You know they 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 found a way to deal with it, and t- Tennessee will find a way to deal with it. I'm I'm certain. So uh, I'm intrigued to see what it looks like too, because there will have to be a lot of decisions being made on, you know, who's going to go in what game. Are you going to set up to to play, you know, defense in a sense, and in terms of waiting for you know a Dole Lander to throw against elimination or you know whatever the case may be. Are you going to you know, who's going to be that fourth starter? You're going to wait to throw Tidwell as be that fourth starter or beam or, you know, whatever. I mean, there's a lot more decisions and chess, you know, moves to be made. So we'll have to see what happens. But I'm with you on that. But it was always going to change a little bit. Yes. Yeah, so that that is my one concern uh, with, with all the shakeup on, on the pitching staff or is how are these guys able to get back within their routine? Hopefully it doesn't just completely throw them off and look Tennessee can afford to to make these adjustments or or make these decisions for the long haul because they have positioned themselves to where they can do these things They, they can experiment because they've already locked up the east they've already won the sec regular season title and they've already locked up the number one overall seed in hoover so they can afford to to experiment i just hope the experimenting doesn't come back to to bite them in the butt but again i'll i'll say this in hindsight even if it, it does prove to to maybe hamper them down the road i will still maintain that i think it was a requirement a requirement that drew beam and chase burns get a little rest or are shut down a little bit because they were wearing down and i thought tony vitello summed it up perfectly eric they want them running through the finish line, not stumbling. And they were on the verge of stumbling and costing you in the postseason. You needed you needed to recharge their batteries. I mean, it's that it's just that simple to me. Made sense on too many levels for me. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Let's talk about this Tennessee offense that that had a pretty solid weekend overall. Uh, in game one, five runs on nine hits, just kind of. Ho-hum. I thought the story of that game was was Chase Dolander being dominant on the mound. We we discussed his dominance on the mound or, or mentioned it in passing earlier in the pod. But six innings, six strikeouts, no walks, 77 pitches. So you get him in, get him some good work, and uh, also give him a little bit of a rest. Only at 77 pitches could have kept him out there, but uh, no need to push it. And then Chase Burns comes in. And he looks good in his first inning, then runs into trouble in his second inning, which was the eighth. He he did strike out three, uh, did not allow any walks, but did give up a run on two hits. I, I thought you could already see Chase Burns look a little bit more fresh um, coming in out of the bullpen. And then Redmond Walsh comes in and, and picks up his sixth save of the season, the 22nd save of his career. He's now one behind Todd Helton for most in career program history, which is uh, pretty remarkable. But uh, offensively, Trey Lipscomb, he hits a home run in the bottom of the second, his 20th of the season. Uh, Jordan Beck hit into an RBI ground out. And this was also the Blake Burke game, Eric Kane. Blake Burke, just two mammoth home runs. 
Uh, he hit a home run in the bottom of the fourth. He hit a home run in the bottom of the seventh. Uh, and not only were they mammoth home runs, uh, we've seen Blake Burke hit mammoth home runs this season. What I liked most about it, Eric, was that it was in a close game against legitimate competition. We, we kind of had not seen that just yet from Blake Burke, and uh, he got the start in game one, and boy, did he take advantage of it. Yeah, he really did. And uh, the note you put in here uh, in your four quick takes following that game one win, um, you know, 54 at-bats on the season, nine home runs, four homers in 15 at-bats during SEC play. We were doing this with Christian Moore earlier in the season, man, just talking about, gosh, it's incredible what he's doing, seven or eight home runs at 36 at-bats or whatever that that was at the time. Uh, he's we talked about his swing too. His swing is beautiful, and he can't even he can't even find a bass in this lineup, right? But you get an opportunity, take advantage of it. He certainly did. So that was my biggest takeaway from game one. Sure, Dolander looked awesome. That was great to see. Burns got some work, but you know, after that game, when I was reading over the notes on Thursday night, I was like, gosh. And you and I have spoken on this. I, I'm pretty sure we were. I was texting you during the the midweek. I'm like, dude, Blake Burke is going to be so freaking good. It's not even funny. And so, yeah, he, he just continues to impress, man. Uh, more and more and more quality depth. And these guys that are struggling to find a batch right now, there's going to be a lot of openings next year. We don't have to talk about that right now. There's plenty of time for that. But he'll be a guy that will benefit from that for sure. Absolutely. He'll he'll be Tennessee's four-hole hitter next year. I would imagine. I would imagine. Three-hole hitter. I don't, I don't even know what this roster is going to look like. But maybe uh, Christian Moore. Blake Burke hitting 3-4 back-to-back. I think they'll be in the heart of the order together in, in some shape or fashion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you have Kyle Booker at the top. Seth Stevenson probably at the top. Jared Dickey somewhere in there. I could see Jared Dickey being a three-hole hitter. I was going to say Dickey will be in there somewhere, too. I don't see long-term Dickey being a leadoff guy. I could see him being a heart of the order guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And they will add transfers inevitably as mm-hmm. well, so kind of hard to – piece together got to find a catcher (laughs) again but yes anyway we'll have plenty of time to discuss that uh game two was much more of an offensive outburst for tennessee scoring nine runs on the evening on 14 hits and the story of that game caner was that tennessee got to jonathan cannon georgia's ace a possible first round pick he goes 4.1 innings he allowed 10 hits, which tied a season high. He allowed six runs in the game, which was the most he's given up all year. He allowed two walks, which tied a season high. And his 4.1 innings of work was the shortest outing of the season. Pretty remarkable how they were able to get to him. I heard George's coach uh, talk after the game, and, and he said that he was not able to command uh, the fastball as well. And as a result, the slider was not working either. So did not have his typical command. And I believe in the the outing against Vanderbilt prior to Tennessee, he threw like 110 pitches. So it would make sense as to to why he was worn down and unable to command uh, his his fastball or slider against Tennessee. But uh, Tennessee, it took into the fourth inning to get to him. Uh, Georgia actually led off the game with a, a home run to to center field. And then in the fourth inning, Tennessee scores three runs. Jarrell Ortega doubles down the line. And then Evan Russell hits his first of two home runs. Uh, Evan Russell then hit a home run in the seventh inning for his second 
of the game. You also had a Luke Lipschitz home run. You had a a second Jarrell Ortega RBI hit. This one an RBI single to to center field. Cortland Lawson walked with the bases loaded. Uh, Jarrell Ortega had his third RBI hit uh, in the sixth inning, a single through the right side, and then. Jarrell then came around to score on a wild pitch later in the inning. And what I loved most about Jarrell's game, Eric, uh, Jarrell and Evan uh, sparked the offense. They they drove in six of the nine runs yeah. on the evening. Uh, Evan Russell doing Evan Russell things and hitting two home runs in a game. But Jarrell, what I loved most about Jarrell is his RBI double in the fourth inning was down the left field line. He hit it to left field. Then he steps up in the fifth inning and bloops an RBI single to center field. And then he steps up the next inning in the bottom of the sixth and hits an RBI single to right field. Left field, center field, right field, all accounted for. And boy, does that speak to the hitter that Jarrell Ortega is. Yeah, it just goes to show you how far he's come, right? Good hitters can hit wherever they want. And being able to spray it all over the field, that's a sign of a really, really good hitter, and you're seeing that in him. But, you know, as much as we talked about pitching in the series overall, yes, I like what the bullpen did in game two. Tidwell, we mentioned Tony's comment saying that he you know, looks like he is progressing and all that. So there are some notes about pitching as well. Sewell put through 51 pitches. But I thought this was, you know, all about the bats. The bats were, like, relatively quiet this week, but, I mean, they exploded on, uh, you know, game two. As you mentioned, Evan Russell, Adrella Ortega, you had – Five guys with multiple hits. You had three guys drive in uh, multiple runs, of course, three of which from Russell and Ortega, two of which came from um, uh, Lipsius, right, in that game. Nope, I'm, I'm exaggerating. Lipsius just drove in one. But nonetheless, it was a good it was a good day offensively for uh, Tennessee in game two. And, you know, it shows you why Tennessee won that game by seven runs and scored nine on the day. So a uh, really good offensive day on Friday for Tennessee in game two of the series. Yes, and – as we discussed, Blake Tidwell showing signs of improvement and and getting back to looking like Blake Tidwell. It really does feel like he's about to turn a corner, whether it's this mm-hmm. weekend against Mississippi State, whether it's in Hoover. It seems like we are on the verge of seeing vintage Blake Tidwell. And folks do have to remind themselves this was his his third start of the year second legitimate start or something along those lines, close to those numbers. What he is doing, this is like his preseason. This this is his spring training. This this is his first half of the season. Uh, Remember, remember Eric in February and early March when, when everybody was saying, Oh, when blade gets back, chase Dolander's the guy that's coming out of the, 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 the rotation for me. Remember, remember everybody making those comments because, Chase Chase didn't look bad. Dolander didn't look bad, but he 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 was not looking as good as Burns or Beam, and so naturally everybody was saying, "Well, he's the guy that's got to come out when Blade gets back." Well, th- that was Chase getting used to pitching at Tennessee and early in the season, and, and now look at him. He's the arm that I trust most on the staff, and and Tennessee's best pitcher, in my opinion. So I I think Blade Tidwell. Maybe to, you know, a little more struggles than than what Chase battled through early in the year, but I, I my point is that I think Blake Tidwell is going through what Chase Dolander went through at the beginning of the season, and 
the the switch is about to flip for him. And when it does, he he's going to look like the first round pick everybody anticipated coming into the season. Yeah, I, I agree. And he, he's technically he's started six games technically, uh, but he's throwing in nine. But I mean, to your point, he's still still going through his ramping up process, still going through that, that, that all the other pitches have already done. And I apparently offended somebody on the podcast last week when you and I both uh, said that uh, we, we believe that uh, Dolanders is the guy. I mean, it, it, he's so impressive and I, I couldn't agree more. And there were points in times earlier in the season when, you know, guys were running bases on him and he was giving up. He was only going through five innings because he he always throws. He's a strikeout pitcher, so his pitch count so high that he looked kind of rocky a little bit too. And so I mean, it's a baseball's a long season; it's a process, right? And Blake Tidwell is kind of on the verge of the back end of kind of getting into his groove because Dolander certainly in his groove. We've seen Burns in his groove at points and times. Beam especially too. It's an embarrassment of riches, but I agree. I think Tidwell is on the verge of being the guy. And, and as we both pointed out last week as well, um, Tennessee's going to win a national championship. You're going to have to have good Blade Tidwell, whether that means, you know, starting, going six or seven innings, whether that means coming out of the bullpen, pitching four or five, you know, shutout innings, whatever that means, you're going to have to have good Blade Tidwell to win a national champion, a championship. So getting him on the verge of pitching his best and he's got first round stuff, you know, and again, so, you know, that, that's, it's no shock whatsoever. So that, that's good to see that he's on the right path, hitting up with Dolander, who's pitching better than anybody right now resting the other two and hopefully getting them back to, to where they, they looked at midway through the season a couple of weeks ago. Uh, aside from Evan Russell and Jarrell Ortega sparking the offense and, and Blake Tidwell starting and Camden Sewell looking good, the other noteworthy item to me is that Mark McLaughlin and Kirby Connell, they also looked good. Now, they came in and pitched when the game was essentially out of reach for Georgia, but – Mark McLaughlin, he pitched the eighth inning, did not allow a hit, did not give up a walk, um, faced three batters in the inning through nine pitches, two flyouts, one ground out. And then Kirby Connell, he comes in for the ninth inning and he strikes out two of the, two of the three that he sees, did not allow a walk or a hit, either 10 strikes on 14 pitches. So Kirby and McLaughlin looked really good to, to round out that game. And then on Sunday... The seventh inning was the story uh, of that one. Tennessee did jump out to an early lead. They they led 2-0. Uh, Drew Gilbert singled up the middle. Luke Lipsius hit a homer in the second inning. Uh, and, and then Georgia did tie it off of Ben Joyce there in the fourth inning. Actually, they took the lead because they hit back-to-back home runs uh, in the fourth inning. Uh, they hit a two-run home run, and they also hit a solo home run Courtland Lawson was able to walk with the bases loaded in the bottom half of the inning to tie it so it was uh, three to three for the fifth and the sixth inning and then the seventh inning when Drew Beam came in Georgia was able to get to him three consecutive singles with a one out Redmond Walsh comes in he's not able to to stop the bleeding Uh, he gives up a single that scores two and that was after a beautiful sacrifice bunt from Ben Anderson to score the runner from third. And then later in the inning, Connor Tate hit a two-run home run off of Redmond. So uh, Ben Joyce in the top of the fourth and Drew Beam in the top of the seventh was was the story there, just not being able to get out of the innings. Yeah, and and again, that happens. And it, I, I would much rather Drew Beam come out. And that's just a whole other process, right? I mean, you're sitting down there. You have to get up. You got to stretch. You got to toss. 
got to get on the mound. You got to start throwing. I mean, and again, it sounds so simple, but especially for a young guy that's never done it before, or even an old guy that's never done it before and having to do that much, much would rather see that happening now. So he knows what to expect then in two or three weeks from now. Right. So uh, that was good to see, but overall just a couple of bad innings for Tennessee on Sunday. Um, or Saturday, excuse me. Gosh, I'm never going to get used to these Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. I will this weekend, and then, well, it's over with then after that. But uh, nonetheless, just a couple of bad innings, but Tennessee had a plan, followed that plan, already had the series. And, you know, I'm like you, you know, seeing Joyce, you know, start that game, it was, you know, about int- intimidation, right? I mean, everybody talks about just the velo that he has and everything, and, and rightfully so. That's That's the sticking point, but gosh, just having to, Having to, you know, first time through the order, having to face that guy, that 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 is tough sailing. So if he ever does eventually becomes a starting pitcher, you know, it'll be interesting to see. You know, they wanted to have a role to Chapman be a starter early in his career too, and then obviously he kind of settled in and becoming a closer because he was so good at it. I'm intrigued to see what happens with Ben Choice, but that's a conversation for another day. I am fascinated as well. Uh, the other talking point before we get out of here is that the offense looked abysmal. In that finale, uh, they were particularly awful with runners on base and runners in scoring position for the nine leadoff batters for the game reached base. Uh, they only had five hits, but there were plenty of runners on base uh, because they drew six walks. So only five hits, but they had 11 base runners because of six walks from Georgia, but they just were not able to hit at all uh, with those runners on base. Two for 13 with runners on, one for eight with runners in scoring position. Uh, the two ugly stats that just make me want to puke. 0 for 3 with the bases loaded, 0 for 3 with runners on third, less than two outs. That's just simply not winning baseball whatsoever. It's yeah, just not winning baseball. Anytime you have runners at third, just 90 feet away with less than two outs. I mean, just just the most unproductive at bat you could possibly have because all you need, all you need is to get the ball in the outfield. All you need, right? Because the majority of the time, especially at this level, you're going to send them, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be that that deep of a fly ball. You're going to send them. So that is very frustrating, but it does happen. Anytime this team manages only five hits, it's like goodness, you know that 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 is a that, that's a bad day. But what you do with those runners on, or what you, the lack of what you did with those runners on, that's the frustrating thing about Game Three. Yes, 5 for 30 overall hitting for the game, which comes out to be a 167 batting average. Not and great. And then they were 1 for 9 with two outs. Two out hitting, runners on base, runners in scoring position. It was abysmal. And what it what made it so abysmal was the fact that they struck out 12 times on the afternoon. Six of them, they struck out looking. Six of the 12 yeah. strikeouts we're looking and there were at least three or four in which they struck out looking on pitches down the middle. It, it was just really, really bad baseball, but that, that is also the, the, the game of baseball. Um, mm-hmm. Again, a lot of people frustrated with, with that happening. Especially and, with how aggressive this team is to begin with. That's first, yes. cause that's uncharacteristic luck. And also you talk about five hits. I mean, Drew Gilbert had two of them, right? So, I mean, it's, it's uh just up and down the lineup outside of Gilbert. Just not not a great day. No, not at all. So it happens to the best of them. Yeah. The Yankees and the Mets, two best teams in baseball right now. I guarantee you, I promise you that over the course of, of this week, they will have one game 
in which it looks like they've never played baseball before in their life. It, it just happens. Uh, professional level, you play 162 games in which it, it's a sport in which you are intended to fail at. So it, it, it happens. Uh, this baseball you get team, hit. You get they're hit probably going to play 70 chances. games. Yeah, you get a hit three out of 10 chances, and you are a good baseball hitter. That's yep. just – I love that. In all of sports – that's like the thing that probably sticks out to me the most. You fail seven times out of 10 and you're great. <laughs> like that's just so wild. Yes. So major league guys, they play 162. They're going to fail because they play so many games. College baseball, you play a ton of games compared to, to football, to basketball. And again, it's a sport in which it is intended that you fail. So that they are going to have games like this. Now, they are 5 and 4 over their last 9 SEC games. That that is what Brent Hubbs told me uh in our around the horn on Saturday after the final game and uh he asked me how concerning is that and my response was that you've got to be a little bit concerned when you hear that. How how, how can you not be at, at least a little bit concerned? But two of those losses were in Lexington where the circumstances were just miserable. And I think you do have to take no. that into consideration, especially when Tennessee turned around and then its next two games looked phenomenal in game one and game two against Georgia. And again, it's all about series wins. And although they may be five and four in their last nine SEC games, they've won three out of the last four SEC series. And at the end of the day, uh, that that is all that matters. So, Eric, uh, it'll be another short week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's the regular season finale. Uh, Tennessee will be in Starkville Thursday, Friday, Saturday against Mississippi State, the mecca of college baseball when you look at that stadium that they have there. And uh, they've had crowds of 14,000 people on numerous occasions this season. So I'm excited to get down there and, and check out that environment mississippi state not a very good baseball team won the national championship last year probably going to miss the sec tournament a year later they're going to go from winning the national championship to missing out on the sec tournament they're last in the sec west they're they're not good because of injuries um and and maybe a little uh frustration within that locker room to this point in the season so bad yeah so and you know, should, should handle business this weekend. Yeah. And you know, you know that everybody's going to come out to see the balls too. Right. So, I mean, I, I like you, I expect that environment just to be off the chain. I'll be there. And as Eric, the kids would say, <laughs> cause you're a kid, uh, Eric, and I will be back with you this week. Unable to, uh, squeeze in a preview pod last week, Eric and I were both traveling, uh, but we will make sure we get one in this week for sure and then it's postseason baseball man postseason baseball i can't believe it is already already here tennessee plays belmont tomorrow night tuesday night last midweek game of the season hallelujah praise the lord thank you <laughs> sweet baby jesus i made it through another season of midweek baseball games and since he was so good this year, you can't just go there for the eighth and ninth inning and then, you know, do media and go home, right? And it's just, you got to be there for first pitch because when you're the best team in the country, I mean, you know, you, you can't miss anything, right? Yet there are still media members that do that. There, there are media members 
who show up as the final out of the game is being recorded and shows up to post-game media, takes quotes, asks questions, tweets out stuff as if they were there the whole game, and yet the public does not know. I know, but the public does not know that they're not sitting to the games like they are intending on social media. Not great. I'll tell you what, the pandemic ruined all. Yeah, it's a conversation for another. The pandemic ruined, you know, covering sports because there's still video being sent out and that should never be the case anymore. I'll just say that that's a different conversation, but I'll say that. I know, I know you feel the same way. So nonetheless, especially when I'm the only one on the road and the same privileges are still being emailed out, but that's a, a little behind the curtain peek at the the media world here in Knoxville but for Eric Kane I am Ben McKee we'll be back with you later on this week and until we speak again we hope you all have a great start to your week